I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because it's podcast. We listen to podcasts whenever we do. Today is extra exciting because I'm with Jonathan Hollander, who is the founder, artistic director, and choreography choreographer of Battery Dance. Welcome. It's so great to be here, Austin. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we started the conversation, I mentioned that I'm a classical musician, you're a classical musician, and much of what we do in classical music is based on dance forms. True. Yet I know nothing about dance. I think you probably know things that you don't know you know. You know, like there's something innate within us and actually a lot of battery dance companies work around the world is based on helping people understand that they are a dancer that there is a dancer within that's never been discovered right because okay correct me if i'm wrong and maybe we don't know the answer but chicken egg which came first music or dance they are two of the most and i I don't use this as a uh pejorative but the most primitive of arts that's correct um, you know, with the human voice, no props, no instrument is, is necessary. It's there. And with the body, same thing. So music and dance are inextricably connected and rely on each other, even if there's not a consciousness that that's happening, as in your case with your being a classical musician, but feeling like you don't know dance. Um, you know, India has been an important country to me since the age of 16 when I went and lived in India as an exchange student. And one of the things that I discovered is that in the ancient text of something called the Natya Shastra, on which all of Indian dance forms are based, the classical dance forms, music and dance are not separated into two different disciplines. They're the same. They come from the same wellspring. So I think the Indians have understood something you know, way back in history that we have kind of forgotten. And probably Western, we probably had the same, and it's just been at a certain point in time. It's because, like, I know the forms, gavats and minuets. These are all dance and sarabans. These are all dance forms, and we all played them when we played our Bach and our Purcell and our whoever, you know, our, 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 our... It's rhythm. It's rhythm. It's time. It's a way of dividing time. Right. Which is what music does. And, you know, if... If you're a musician, a performer, and you don't have a good sense of rhythm, something's going to be missing from your performance. So let's go to that. I mean, you are a, a, a scholar, a choreographer. A, you are the the knowledge base of dance. Well, that's what? a tall order. I'm not sure that I can take that. But, you, you know, you, okay. You have a, you have a dance company. If you think so, I'll take it. You're better than me at this, <laughs> so let's do it. Uh, I'm just going to... Where... where That wellspring. Where... where 
Is it ceremonial? Is it religious? Is it sexual? Where is it's this innate movement? It's all of those things. Um, you know, my story is a little bit interesting and I think may play into this for you that I did all of the art forms in a sense in terms of study before I studied dance. Dance was part of my life. I did folk dancing, square dancing as a child. I was in musical theater, so you have to dance. But I was not in a formula dance class until I was 18. Whereas I had been in, I had been studying classical piano since the age of five. I was on in theatrical productions from the age of six, you know, and and visual arts, which is where I thought I was going in my life at age eighteen. Really, yeah. sculpture, painting, graphics, all of that I loved, and I thought that was going to be it. And then it wasn't it, and it turned out that dance was the thing that brought everything together. You know, I, there's something interesting about the choice of careers or the the direction that one goes in that you want to find the thing that embraces everything that you love you don't want to feel like oh it's either this or that and uh -huh. with me dan the choice of dance which was not really a conscious choice it was something an impulse an organic um in, uh, you know whatever initial, that's the one that it took it that it took pulled it all together it took everything I didn't have to give up music I didn't have to give up visual art because the bodies on stage become the visual art like and I, set design that's everything. part oh wow everything was included so I never had the sense that I was discarding I was including and theater and drama they're all in there in dance because there are narratives in dance that's right Holy, right. I, was, I was about to expletive there, but I, this, we're five minutes into this and already mind blown because I never sat down and thought about this. It's, it is a holistic art because you can dance, I guess, acapella, right? From the head with no music, yes. but it's not the same without music. For and me, for me, that's true. And that's something I had to discover over time because the first dance maker, brilliant genius dance maker, who brought me to New York and, and inspired me and like had me turned on and dropped out of college based on an invitation from him to come to New York and study with him was Merce Cunningham. And wow. Merce Cunningham was the person. For real? Yeah, for real. So John Cage, Merce Cunningham, Robert Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, this whole no! kind of. No. Yes, yes. No. This constellation of geniuses that, um, you know, used aleatory techniques, meaning chance techniques to put things together and the chance of John Cage deciding that such and such should happen on Tuesday night at Merce's performance and the dancers would have never heard that soundscape or music before so they separated but and I, I was kind of within that way of thinking and, and in love with and, and totally enthralled by everything that they were doing. And I kind of followed in that line for a while until I realized, wait, Jonathan, you are a musician. And not to say that Merce wasn't, because in fact, even though he separated dance from music in that performance sense, he was one of the most musical choreographers you could ever find in the sense that the uh, rhythmic play of his phrases of the material that he made created 
it was very complex. It was never four four or three four only. It was always, it was almost like Indian music with this sevens and nines and thirteens. Right, but melding between one another, never never sticking like you could play uh, you could play everything beat it out in five again and again and again. But you're right, Indian music will meld between. There's a seven and nine a five, and it doesn't really there, have a rhyme or reason to yeah, it. Last year's New York Times review of one of our um, Battery Dance Festival performances in which we introduced a great Katak dancer from Kolkata. The what headline is Katak? A Katak is a North Indian dance form that uh, has elements of both the Mughal culture and the Hindu culture. So it's really a very unique form in the sense that it blends these cultures that are right now in today's world are being torn apart. But coming back to the New York Times headline, the mathematician of dance. And I thought that was an intriguing uh, concept be, and, and yet so true because if you hear an Indian music concert you know that they'll go on these escapades into you know never never yes, land and yeah, come yeah, back to yeah. one and you're like how did they know where the one was well like <laughs> like well like jazz right yeah, yeah these totally guys like are jazz. seasoned totally these are like seasoned jazz. veteran musicians so they know when you're getting the when you're getting the vibe someone's like the tabla player is like all right come on Come on back. Come on back. Right? Or the bassist is like, all right, come on back. But right? they never left. That's the whole point. In their minds, they kept track. And this is, you know, you go to a, an incredible uh, jazz concert or Indian music concert, and you marvel at what is going on in their heads. And I don't think they're, th like, a good dancer is not counting. Like, a good dancer is mm -hmm. not going one, two, three, four. No, the body has absorbed and metabolized that rhythm. Same with these musicians, except right. that what they're doing is just so complex that the human mind cannot even embrace it. So, body as instrument. Yes. Now, we play instruments, and when you play instruments, you know, you, you get in the groove but I am... Uh, right, it becomes part of your body, an extension of your body. Right, and I'm clinically uh, white and awkward, so uh, the whole <laughs> movement thing... Is there a treatment for that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe it's called soul music. <laughs> I'll go with that. Uh, yeah, so the, the body as instrument, explore that, because again, we're going back to either dance or music or maybe inextricably, inextric I can't even say that word, maybe <laughs> linked together are the very first arts, right? I agree, because uh, you didn't need anything else. You right. just did it. it. There was an impulse, a human impulse um, that came from the, you know, who knows? The ether, right? The e beautiful. The, or, or beautiful the ether. Or yes, the human soul, you. like our innate desire to create yes and and to the, the engage case, i mean exactly you know. and, yeah. and 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 but we but dance engages and when you think of native dances like folkloric dances dances that come from uh indigenous populations what did what do some of those dances look like they look like um uh the human imitating the movement of animals because there was a relationship between the humans and the animals, like the Lascaux Caves. Exactly. That's what. What did. What did they paint? They painted their prey and the things that fulfilled them, which was hunting and consuming these animals. So therefore, there was a holiness 
to that. Amazing. So, and then how about the the temple sculptures in Kajuraho, which show every possible way of procreating or having sex? You know, the next thing that you consume—it's human. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. You know, it, this is a human activity that everyone shares. I mean, we're go, we're going to go down the rabbit hole on this, Jonathan, because I, I don't <laughs> we'll even come back know. Up. We'll come back up. I don't even that. know where to start. <laughs> uh, where? So where, how does, as a choreographer, how does one hone one's body into this instrument of dance? Like, That's a where, really, where really do good you, question. Where do you start? Thing. Well, you know, uh, the thing is, let's talk Suzuki about. Suzuki method? That's interesting. We don't have a small version of the of our bodies. I mean, I guess we have a limited version because, you know, I started dancing so late. 18 is very late to start training the body and pushing it and pulling it and, and manipulating it for the first time because I was not a nice skater. I was not a gymnast. I didn't come into, like some guys who start dance late are already very physical and they have already trained their bodies for something another reason but the transition into dance is easier for me it was like i was trying to re-sculpt my body you know from scratch at age 18 and that was really hard and i got to a certain level and then i realized i hit the wall i i was actually injuring myself by pushing myself too hard Mm. and so i think for the first time in my life i realized I can't do that. I'd go to Lincoln Center and see these great dancers. Like in the 1970s, you could buy a $4 student ticket and go to Lincoln Center and start in the fourth ring and come down. And you'd see Eric Brun and Carla Fracci and Nureyev and Fontaine. And, you know, I'd see these dancers, not even at that level, but even the core dancers were doing things. I realized, Jonathan, you can't do it. That was the first time in my life that I heard heard that inner voice say that's beyond you and I was rejecting it and I was saying I want to go to a dance monastery I want to dance every hour of every day in order to you know get to this point and I as I said I started having injuries because I was pushing so hard against where the body had already decided to be right it's like uh was it was it list no Schumann Schumann, he cut the webs between his fingers and he created those weights so he could play piano better. Was that and Schumann? I, I, I think it was I think it was Schumann. And then he went crazy and he then his yeah, he, and, he, and then his wife ended up uh Clara Schumann banging Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> or Brahms. Or Brahms. It you know Brahms. what? Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, oh, yeah, no. Wagner ended up idolizing her. I think, I whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, we're, we're, this is the imperfect history of music. So, you know, <laughs> we're ready for connection, corrections on every and, level. <laughs> and, and next, we'll do John Cage. Be quiet for the next couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and... Paul Taylor, who did a performance in, I don't know, the 60s or early 70s, where he sat in a chair and didn't move. And that was a... That that was something, you know, kind of testing the limits. Right. Now, Paul Taylor, I underst- I never worked with him, but I idolized him. I loved his work. I, I still do. I can go and see Taylor 2 or Taylor 1 company and just be totally mesmerized by the musicality but i heard from dancers who danced in his company that he was he did not have music education 
it was innate. He knew. He always knew the inner threads of what was going on musically. In fact, uh, a person that I got to know and just have great respect for, Ger- Gerald Busby, wrote a score. He wrote some scores for Robert Altman's film, like mm-hmm. Three Women, and like some really way out, unique, unique music. And he wrote a score for Paul Taylor called um, Runes, solo piano, one of the most incredibly compelling, passionate, dramatic pieces for solo piano. And Paul Taylor choreographed a piece that just like I fell down. I was just I had never seen anything like that. So you don't have to be a trained musician, although, again, a different model would be Balanchine, who was trained as a composer and a musician. He was, you know, so working with with the great composers like Stravinsky, Balanchine was a natural. I mean, Stravinsky must have had such a great time collaborating with Balanchine because they spoke the same language, Russian, but also <laughs> <laughs> but also music. Um, th- and I've benefited from that. Just just one one little sideline. Yeah, here, please. That I've commissioned a lot of chore- uh, composers to write music for my, for me and I feel like they have been able to do their best work and I've been able to do my best work because we understand each other because of my musical background and one thing I had to tell my dancers is when music- when composers and musicians are in the room and working with us don't talk to them let me be the the, the, the con- arbiter. You're, you're the, if each the translator. Said, that part's too fast, or this part's too slow, or whatever. Right. It that does not work. Right. But if you can have um, a respectful dialogue with a composer and musicians, and you know, because musicians do not want to replicate the recording, they don't want to hear that you've been, re- you know, rehearsing with this version of you know, the Mozart serenade, and then you're going to expect them to reproduce that point by point. Exactly. Because if you do, yeah. then why did you have them come in? Anyway. Right, right. You, so could just th- press, is, you could just press play that's if that's right. what you were going for. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There are certain things that you want to have pre-recorded, but if you're going to have actual musicians in the room, use that's them, where the driver's seat is. Use them and allow yeah. them to breathe and allow them to, you know, to have their say. On the other hand, we went to Budapest... And we performed there um, a piece that we had been performing before, but this was with a new singer and a new tabla player. It was it was Rabindranath Tagore songs. And for Tagore, everything, every Jonathan, everything you see, I'm like for real. You're like <laughs> yes, again for real. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tagore was the first Nobel laureate from yes. Asia, you know, and people lined up around the cor- around the block to to listen to him orate his poetry in Carnegie Hall. So there was a time when he was, you know, everybody knew his name. That is not the time we're living in. However, I was lucky to be in Calcutta and go to a dinner party. And and the daughter of the host of the dinner party, the host said, would you like to hear my daughter sing? And we're like, of course. And she sang some songs. And one of my dancers, one of my most musical dancers, burst into tears because it was just so exquisite, so pure, so beautiful. And I said, well, who, who wrote this? Tagore. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Tagore, the freedom fighter, Tagore, who wrote the national anthem for India and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. I mean, you know, Tagore, the poet that Yeats idolized, the, the you know. Yeah. yeah. 
he wrote this. Oh, well, how many songs did he write? Thousands. And I'm like, wait, this wait, is we didn't even know. I, well, I, this is news to me. He's so then, known as the poet. So my original story about Budapest was we arrived in Budapest and this classical Tagore singer who was the closest to Budapest was in Paris. So she came over and she'd heard our recordings and she was going to accompany us with a tabla player. Well, unfortunately, in the performance, she closed her eyes because she got into so much of the spirit of it. And I remember this one dancer who's Ariel Bonilla from Mexico, who was just here recently, was dancing this solo and she closed her eyes, the, the singer, and went into this special place of reverie and she she sang the song at like half tempo and Ariel was left to like improvise like double the amount of material than was in the choreography because there was no way to move as slowly as she was singing but anyway so that was that was funny well that's that was fun. a perfect segue Jonathan because it, it, you you touched on three things that I want to touch on one, the music moved you, but when you see, let's start with this. When you see something amazing in dance and it just goes like, again, we're both musicians. So when someone plays an amazing piano piece at lightning speed, but it's still tasteful and they're not a machine about it, yeah. you know, I notice that, you know, it's the difference between like, uh, Jimi Hendrix solo and like an Ingvi Malmsteen or Joe v Satriani or Steve Vai solo, which are just mechanisms. They're <laughs> Jimi Hendrix is slide, breathe, and these guys are just sixty fourth notes, right? Okay. I don't know the other three, but I know I know what you're talking about with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it was absolute you know, heart and soul. But not... And technique at the same time, but not to show it exactly. off. Exactly. So the, the guys, the metal guys I'm talking about are just show-offs, okay. right? Literally, like, they 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 play 128 and notes. And there's, there's a version of that in dance also. Look, I can... I can jump higher. Look, I can do more turns. Look, I can, you know, I can yes. kick my leg Tell me and, about and that. hit my forehead. Where's the one where you see that's Hendrix and that's just not the technically proficient? What, like, sort of, I don't even know how to well, describe let me, it. Let me talk about the, the great ballerina Margot Fontaine. Margot Fontaine was um, a dancer who entranced people and trance the audience and you know of course there's a whole story of Nureyev defecting mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, partnering her much much older woman younger man but forming this amazing amazing partnership and looking looking at Fontaine's performance she did not lift her leg up to the ceiling she did not do anything that was that looked flashy everything was done with such utter elegance and musicality and charisma and charm and like you can't even but today it's like whack you know there's there's a lot of gymnastics that mm. have come into ballet this is kind of the opposite and of course it's exciting because it's circus um, and circus is exciting to see that the human body can do some of these things. So where is that happy medium um, that, that we say this is Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. What do you see? We don't need to this. Give give us the primer as as I am, I I dated a girl who was a ballerina, right? And um, we went to a couple uh, uh, dance uh, performances at uh, at uh, Lincoln Center, and they were the best naps I've ever had because I just couldn't. That's I, so interesting. I know. I see, don't I, get it. I can't. I want. I want to what know. What music was playing? Because you're a musician. So was it Stravinsky? Was it Tchaikovsky? Was it? I think know, it was, was Tchaikovsky. It, was which it sort good of music? I, mean, it was, was it, I think it was Tchaikovsky, which sort of bores me to okay. death. Anyway. Okay. All right. So maybe uh, she picked the wrong program. Yeah. Uh, and I, I loved it for the first couple minutes, and then I just couldn't. I, I want to love this, and I want to know. Give us a primer. Give me a primer, and therefore give our listeners a primer on what are we looking for. What's what? the thing that just like when Jonathan goes, boom, that's it. This is my, this is my top five. I saw I saw a performance on Monday night that was the opening of an Indian dance festival called Drive East, um, and the dancer was Bijayani Satpati. And this was her first solo performance separating from a group that she's been with for decades that New York has, you know, idolized called Nrijagram in a small village in India where uh, an actress dancer named Protima Bedi established a dance village and, and had the idea that, you know, to, to have an a incubator. And this Bijayani was one of the two. Sarupa Sen is her dance partner and everything they did was together so she broke away and gave her breakout solo concert on Monday night the entire audience was holding its breath we felt shivers up and down our arms Barishnikov was one seat away from me oh and he was the first one to jump up for the standing ovation that went on for like 90 seconds I mean a minute and a half for a solo Indian classical dance performance in in New York, you know, it was kind of remarkable. What was it about her performance? Yes, what was it? What 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 gave you okay, those let's shivers? Start, let's start from the fact that she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, so you like to look at her, and not just beauty off of Vogue magazine, but beauty in a dance way, meaning large eyes that are so expressive that in the slightest change of her expression, you could see clouds in the sky, you could see um, you know, uh, a, a vulture being attacked <clears throat> by a god that cut off his wing. You, you know, the stories could come through her face. Wow, Huge there's another face. aspect of dance that 
I don't look at and I have to look at. You're yes. also acting. Yes. Oh, the, well, that was the thing. It, it was the consummate dance actress going on there. And so even if you didn't know anything about Indian dance and had no background at it at all, you she could hold your attention. And on the physical level, there were, there were gestures where she would go up into a diagonal, like lift up and go down to the floor in like, it was like water. It was like, it was so fluid. It was as if there were no bones in her body, but the ultimate control that could allow that to happen. So technique, but the technique is all underneath. All you see is the art that has been built on this architecture of technique. Jonathan, you're making it really hard because what you're saying right here is you know it when you see it. <laughs> That's true. But I, I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> I didn't study Indian Indian dance. Right. I went to India as a 16-year-old. I started looking at Indian dance and listening to Indian music. It took me a long time. Indian music for a classically Western-trained musician hits the ear in a strange way. Uh, but but you understand immediately. It's Everyone's like, is this all improvised? I'm like, no, this is completely written, and it's all based upon very established scales. The raga. Yes, right. you understand that. I think, I think actually, as a classical musician, uh, Indian music is more accessible to me than jazz would be. Well, that's I love jazz. Uh-huh. Just ask me to play jazz. I'd be like, bink, bink, bonk, bonk. That would be it. Like, I wouldn't be able to well, do it. Jazz, jazz. I have learned to appreciate jazz from the inside through a composer named Frank Carlberg, who's based in Brooklyn, teaches at the New England Conservatory and um, Berkeley in Boston. And he's cla he was cla he was trained in Helsinki, which has you know the music in Finland is yes. like oh, a really they, high yeah. level. Oh, especially the black metal. <laughs> <laughs> Finnish black of that. Finnish death metal of is... opera and violin and <laughs> I was conducting. Thinking, I was thinking Finnish death metal. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know the different sides. But he became a jazz pianist and composer, and when we started to work together collaboratively, um. I had to understand how much would be structured and how much would be free mm -hmm. and how to have enough um, underpinning that the dancers could connect to if, in fact, in the live performance there was going to be improvisation. Right. Where was the, you know, the, the structure that the dancers would know would always be there? And it, you know... 16 bar breaks. I, I learned from Frank. Yeah. I, I learned that the performance the that's unwritten is always better than the one that is completely written out jazz wise and also that that unwritten part is still structured because you have the rhythm section keeping th to the chart and moving through that and also you've got an allotted amount of time you've got a 16 or a 32 bar break where you take your solos so at least your dancers know then with the jazz tune there's the head and there's the head at the end but we know exactly how much time in the middle to let yourself but we free. We also know that Bach improvised oh, yeah. his fugues. Like, yeah. I mean, it, that's hard to wrap your mind around. I mean, it's like it's it's we all know it theoretically, but to understand that he could sit down at the keyboard and actually play the art of fugue, like you know, as an improvisation. Yeah. I 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that scene from Amadeus where Salieri goes, he plays that one tune, and Mozart goes, he's like, bong, dung, bong, gong. This doesn't really work, does it? And then he rewrites the whole thing. He's like, wouldn't this be better? Yeah. Yes. Beethoven, it's, it's Beethoven, genius. Bach, Mozart, they were all improvisers. They were jazz. But when you think about it, how do you, like, dance and music are improvisation even if it doesn't end up being that because somebody is in the dance studio improvising how do they until they get it until they set it right like twyla tharp is a perfect example and she's the first choreographer that i had the opportunity to work with in oh New my York. god jonathan again <laughs> twyla tharp john cage rauschenberg well i was privileged i was blessed <laughs> i really was you and really were and it's because really I was not, it's really exciting for I me i was not the great dancer and that that's really really important to know that this is not that i came in fully ready to be at the highest level of what twyla could do no 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 i just happened to be six foot tall and musical and music musicality is number one for twyla she's brilliantly musical anyone who worked with her works with her has to be incredibly musical so but she would go into her studio improvise and was one of the early people to actually video everything that she did but she also had human videos she had sarah rudner and rosemary wright were her were her sort of human um memorizers because they had this incredible ability to pick up the most complex things that Twyla was doing and they recorded it in in their bodies bodies. and they could then teach it to the next level okay that was that was there were like 14 questions before that I already forgot because now I'm on the next one which is we have notation in music yeah, right. What and is we, dance we, notation? There is dance is there? Nota- yes. It's Tell me about it. that. I have no idea what it is. Well, it's called laba notation, and, and it is a written form of movement that um, that somebody could, a reader who was trained in laba notation could reconstruct What's it look like? It's on paper. It's stick figures. <gasps> really? Yeah. So this angle means such and such a gesture and this angle means something and it's nowadays but what about the subtleties do you have filigrees and trills and and grace notes and all those things that we have in written notation of music i think it all can be there depending on the the notator and how much detail they put into it but of course since the age of smartphones and and readily accessible cameras it's normally combined with video and it's also normally combined, and this is essential, with the dancers who originally danced it. Because they will say, no, Balanchine intended this. And Balanchine changed it because that dancer was better at this than that. I mean, like, they bring in, they bring in the, the nuance and the detail and the history of the making of that dance. Wow, so you rewrite dance per who your ensemble is. You can. You can, and you because you, you would never do that. With let's go back to we keep going back to music. This is why these are intrinsically linked. You would never rewrite a sonata and say you can't play that well. I'm going to rewrite it different for you because you've got. I I wrote I wrote a uh, I wrote a thirteenth reach right, uh, and you can't do. You can't do a 13th, so uh, I'm going to rewrite it to a 12th. I'm like, no, 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 that's just an octave, and that doesn't make sense. But you could rewrite dance for a particular dancer? I think that when a choreographer is alive, 
and 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 has different um, generations of dancers, they do change. I mean, it's classic that it, it's known that Balanchine changed certain of his pieces, and critics went were angry sometimes because they said it didn't. It, it didn't end the way it used to or, you know, oh my what happened to that? And if you follow Facebook, there's a dancer who danced with Balanchine for years named John Clifford, and he's based in Los Angeles, and he actually created the L.A. Ballet that lasted for a certain number of years. But he's constantly commenting on, uh, he finds archival footage of performances of Balanchine's works, uh-huh. and he says... Now, today, they left that out. Or today, they've done this, and they really should go back to that. So, you know, if you're interested in these things, and I am, it's because I saw the performances in the 70s, and I saw Violette Verdi, and I saw Patricia McBride, and I saw these Edward Villella, these incredible dancers. And then, you know, you go back and see a piece 30 years later, and you might be disappointed because something's missing. Or not. You know, sometimes you go and you're, you're like, these dancers are out of this world. I mean, you know, how do, how can they do this? So I don't know how to say it, but just to say... You're that, saying it great. Well, dance dance is a living art form. Right. And, you know, one of the things that's uh, cliche is that it's ephemeral. It's, you know, it you see it and then it's gone. It only lives on in your memory. Which is a great experience. And today where everything is shared and permanent dance is ephemeral and there is something about that like again we keep going back to music but you can buy a recording you can buy 30 recordings of the same string quartet and hear it 44 different times right and people do but you can only see that one dance performance once and there it is right the one i was talking about on monday night with bjani i mean there was something about this as a breakout moment in her career. And you're collectively in it with everyone else. Even though she's the one doing it, it's actually sort of not about it her. It's audience. about everyone in the room. And everybody knew that this was a big moment for her. Barishnikov! Yeah. My God. <laughs> this is... Very, very, you know, in his shorts and, and in a check shirt like yours. And, you know, not... No, he does not invite attention. Let's put it that way. He really, really does not want attention. But but everyone, was, it's one of those. There he is. But <laughs> yeah. no one says it out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Except That's, the people who do, and then he's like, his night is ruined. Listen, but. you don't. Yeah, you don't do that. I was at a bar once, and uh, I was sitting as close as I am to you, and right behind me, apparently the entire time was Bruce Willis. And then I, I, I went to the bathroom. I hope you didn't get into a fight. No, I went to the bathroom. We paid the bill, and me and my friends walked out. And my friends go. That was wild. Bruce Willis was right next to us. And I go, where was he? They go, literally behind your back. Because we were all, I was the one facing towards everyone, right? And apparently when I was in the bathroom, someone goes up and goes, I love your work. Can I buy you a drink? He goes, buddy, I can afford my own drinks. Move on. That's, yeah, Barishnikov is like, I know. I know. Just chill out. <laughs> yeah, somebody said, somebody came up to him and said, are you Mikhail Barishnikov? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we went, we went off in a, way on off, a tangent, way off. but an entertaining tangent. Um, let's, Celebrity sightings in Tribeca. We can go on that Oh, one. my God, yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. That's why Tribeca, we are in, we are 
we're Tribeca adjacent right now, I guess. We're sort of we're in we're in we're Tribeca chi- East. We're, we're Chinatown ish. Yeah, we're, we're in Chinatown Tribeca, where the city is about to destroy this community by putting up a forty-five story jail, so that a jail will become. Wait, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, this they're is, replacing they're, that one? It they, they want yeah they're going to tear that down, which was built at the. Uh, you know, against the community's wishes in Chinatown, and and with a senior center connected to it, with more 100-year-old people than anywhere else in the United States, and they're going to build a 45-story jail, destroying Columbus Park, which is the most used park in our neighborhood. What in the, in the United States? Wait, where, what? Where senior Chinese? Oh no, no, are I did not know anything about this. This, this has the, not been this publicized. This is the brilliant. It's never been pu- based jail project close. Rikers, close Rikers. Yes. There's a hysteria no. about close Rikers. How about fix Rikers? How about tomorrow at Rikers? How about stop jailing re- people? Retrain these abusive, you know, whatever. I can't even. All talk right. About no, no, that. wait, wait. All right, all right. Y- you and I are gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stop this. And we're gonna talk about this because I want to act on this. But for the rest of you non-New Yorkers, that. <laughs> Back to dance. Let's talk about, but let's talk about dance as a community thing. Like this is why battery. Yeah, talk about battery because no. you are you are a Southern New York pioneer. Because for those of you who don't know New York history, well, New York for two hundred years of existence was the tip of New York. Right. So New all Amsterdam. the cultural all the cultural institutions were down here. The opera was founded down here. Columbia University, King's College then, was founded down here. But as Manhattan grew up the island, all those cultural institutions moved up. Madison Square Garden has moved four different times to where it is now. This it is was in Madison Square history. it was in Madison Square park that's why it was called madison square garden it's now nowhere near madison square garden but all these things and the uh you know broadway was the gold coast and that's where all the opera houses and theater companies were and guess where they moved they moved to broadway but except 42nd don't street broadway forget about castle clinton yep. which was castle garden where it, jenny lind performed exactly but what i'm what i'm saying to our listeners is all those things left southern manhattan and then here you're in the this, first person who's brought that out in any v- interview of me it's since 1976, so thank you. Well, because I am a New York scholar. This is my hometown. This is what I love. I love New York history. I've read 300 books on New York City history, That's right? Fantastic. And we, we, we have this evolution where it went from Broadway down here by Wall Street to 14th Street, to 5th Avenue, to the Upper East Side. That's where the rich and the cultural institutions moved. And then we've got the death of Lower Manhattan from basically, let's say, 1950 to 1990, right? Um, by death, I guess you mean death by money, death yes. by skyscrapers? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. a, a dearth of no one lived here. Yeah. No one lived in this neighborhood. Right, uh, right. and I did. And I you did. I lived on Stone Street, which is the first paved street in Manhattan. Wait, you lived on Stone Street? Yeah, Well, yeah. you couldn't live on Stone Street right now because right. it's it's, right. it's Mardi Gras there no, but every Stone day of the week. Stone Street was the back door of, of these little restaurants where, you know, people dumped their trash and rats had a field day. Um, but that's where my first loft was located. I had 3,000 square feet of wooden floor exposure on four sides 
And that's where, that was my learning laboratory, those early days, eight years on Stone Street. Oh my God. I, for those of you who are not New Yorkers, Stone Street is a carnival right now. Uh, it is closed to the, closed to traffic. It is cobblestoned and it's just full of banquet tables because every bar and restaurant 24 seven, 365 now, it's just, it's basically a, it's basically a festival market every right, single it's day. It's like an Oktoberfest, 12 months. Oktoberfest, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, thank you. Let's talk about uh, Battery Dance and how important it is or was and still is to come here to basically a cultural desert because it was like that in the 70s. Well, you know what happened to us is that uh, Soho was already packed and Midtown was out of range. We had no money, basically. There we go. And we found 3,000 square foot uh, of, of raw wood space. We built out a space where we could live and work. And the fact is that we couldn't afford anything else. And that was like, nobody wanted that because it was in a very old building on Stone Street. Uh-huh. It wasn't in you know the 44-story skyscraper next door. All right. So... The first thing we did was to go at, bring our dances that we worked on, you know, in the studio. Where can we perform them? Well, there are no theaters here, so let's perform them out of doors. And we performed at a place called Jeanette Park. As a historian, you might know that became Vietnam Veterans Park. Oh, okay, yes, now at, I do know, at, yeah. At the time it was called Jeanette Park, God knows why. And 55 Water Street, this yep. huge, yep. huge buildings with all kinds of um, business in them. And we brought a brass quintet and dancers and 7.5 tons of Carrara marble sculptures. And we populated the park with art for a short time. And what happened was thousands of people came out and watched us at lunchtime. Downtown. Uh, downtown. Right, because we're- Water Street. We're in- we're You in, can't get farther south than No, that. no. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're next to the- Yeah, you're next to the terminal, right? Right. Uh, and, and this is in 1976? Yes. So this is- Yeah, everyone is- Straight commuters at this point in time. Right. You, could you get come your knees to Wall Street. By all the briefcases going into the Wall Street subway. Exactly, but you come in and then you go out. Yes. Now, I mean, and by the way, this is not a in our not our lifetime, our recent memory. Now, can you live down there? And there are shops and everything like that. Blah blah all blah of blah. These blah. buildings have been converted. Into yes, all the offices are now residential. I'm wondering this is, where do they work because there's so much residential. I don't know. This is this is brand new to me too because you know I had friends. I'd house sit down on like John Street and stuff. I'd be like, I'd struggle to find a place to get a drink after you know ten o'clock. We couldn't find lot. In fact, that's a story because we had to go to Chinatown to do laundry because we didn't have machines. You know, uh, anywhere near you. And there wasn't yeah. a place to go. And so, and also no restaurants that weren't like for bankers that were, you know, close, at, close at 430. Well, they uh, were, they might be open, but they were, they were watering holes for right. stockbrokers. I'm not going to, I'm not going to order from Delmonico's every day of the exactly. week. Or Michael's. I <laughs> yeah, think exactly. Like that. Yeah. So we would walk to Chinatown and that became our a saving moment for us because after eight years in our space, we were faced with eviction. Um, you know, the the rent was going to skyrocket, whatever, whatever. And we were in desperate condition because we lived there and worked there. And so everything was there. And moving, you know, trying to find space at 
whatever we could pay, which was five, six, seven dollars a square foot, right. people would laugh. Well, <clears throat> we found a real estate agency in Chinatown that we had passed on the way to look for laundry and restaurants and so forth, and went into that real estate agency, which doesn't exist anymore. And there was a there was a woman who knew the owner of this building, 380 Broadway, that we're in now on White Street and Broadway. And she said, well, some friends of mine own this building. Um, you know, they haven't rented it out. They have a furniture store on the ground floor. Let's go take a look at it. And we came on a very gray, cold December morning. And you saw it at its worst. We went into the freight elevator, which was a cranked elevator, not what you see now. Yep. And we cranked, and as we're going up, we're looking at the side view of the building, and we're seeing that there's wood. There's wooden floors. And that was... Boom, done. That this is was, what we need. But we didn't want our faces to reveal uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, we were yeah, excited. Yeah, 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 so yeah. we get up to the fifth floor, and we see an expanse of 185 feet uninterrupted and width of 30 feet. No pillars because we're on the top floor. So we found the Bonanza which is really funny because the the uh, glamour furniture on the ground floor always was advertising living room bonanza, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you found the we dance found bonanza. bonanza. We did, except that the floor you couldn't walk across the floor because it was bowed up from all of the rain that had been basically raining in from the ceiling, uh. you know. So we had to do major reconstruction while in production, while touring, while and without any money. So literally all of our dancers again were on community the floor. volunteer People everyone's getting in. together That's the whole spirit of this dance company it hasn't really changed in all of these years And let's talk years. about your festival uh, your upcoming festival when is it and what is it and how can people come to it Well it's the natural outgrowth of that first performance at Jeanette Park when we realized people want to see this put it out there let them see this don't make them come to a black box theater where they have to pay money and go to see a dance company that they never heard of. So our festival is cross the boards in terms of genre. It goes from August 11th to August 17th. We have six nights out at Wagner Park, free to the public, and we get audiences of 1,500 to 2,000 people every night. Amazing. And every night is made up of a melange of different genres. So you might not like one piece and the next piece is going to be like, oh my God, that's the best thing I ever saw. Who was that? I want to follow them. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. We have companies, 10 companies coming from overseas, India, Curacao, Austria, Switzerland, Lithuania, France. I mean, we, it's very, It all very sounds insane. great except for the French. Oh, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's so mean. <laughs> Wait, Ravel, WC, let me bring you back. Poulet. Okay. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I love me some WC. Uh, uh, oh, and uh, oh, Ravel, the master orchestrator. He could do miracles with an orchestra. Absolutely. Okay, I'm back in. Yeah. You know what, France? You're back to cool again. <laughs> you weren't for about 14 seconds, but now you're cool. Jonathan, the Francophile, was there to save the day. <laughs> Francophile, India file. What are you not a file yeah, of? Well, we've been in, Battery <laughs> Dance has been in 70 countries around the world. That and, is amazing. You know, every time we go to a new country, Honduras this year, Bangladesh coming up. I mean, we just this we is fall also in love. community because you're these are not these, these are, are not, not the, whistle stop. No, tours exactly. We don't go 
do a performance and, and leave her out we interact with young people and you learn their dance traditions and we, yada 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 we, we teach them what we talked about at the front of our interview uh-huh. which is that everyone is a dancer. dancer so anyone can participate in our dancing to connect workshops at the end of which a performance is done where young people present works that they own, that they created on their own. And this could be a, a cross-border program like Palestinian is Israelis, right. Catholics and Protestants in Belfast. I mean, Honduras and Nicaragua and El Salvador were in civil wars with one another forever, blah, blah, blah. But let's we let's put in, it together. We yeah. were in Honduras in San Pedro Sula, which the New York Times called the most violent city in the world that's not in a conflict zone. I mean, there's no war going on there, but, but the, it's, the, yeah, there's war going from on there. The, yeah, the, uh, indigenous the displacement, drug cartels, yada, yes. yada. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I keep saying yada, yada, yada? I don't know. No, I guess <laughs> I, I, I was going to say because I'm uh, south of Canal, but, <laughs> but Jerry Seinfeld lived on the Upper West Side, so I don't think yada, yada, yada Did makes he sense. Did create that? What? Did Jerry Oh Seinfeld? yeah, yada 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 is from Seinfeld oh and it's God. also uh TV Guide's number one catchphrase of the 20th century. Amazing. Yeah. Cuz cuz you well, just amazing like, and awesome. Yeah. We have to get rid of those words and find some new ones. Can you give me some new ones? <laughs> Splendiferous. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know some so back to the festival. Yes, please. Come one come all. The 11th through the 16th at Wagner Park from 7 p.m. You see the sunset. You see the sky. You see the uh, the wonderful Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island as you're seeing these beautiful dancers across the stage two, two hours every night. And then on the 17th, there's a final performance at Schimmel Center. And for the first year ever... Where's Schimmel Center? Schimmel Center is in Pace University, so it's opposite oh, City Hall. Oh, got it. Right next to the bridge. Yeah, yeah. It's about 700 seats, and we fill it you know, for this finale. And we always need to have one indoor performance in case, God forbid, there's rain. Right. And we bring somebody from Sri Lanka and they get rained out. So we need to have a fallback indoors. Got it. A roof over our heads. Got it. Yeah. This is The Battery Dance Festival, 38th year, by the way. Longest running public dance festival in New York. It's almost as old as Maria. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this has been absolutely spectacular we're going to do this again because we need to know more let's go into the mechanics of dance next time but first this was awesome as a primer this is jonathan hollander the director of battery dance and this i will post this on saturday so everyone we're we're doing this right away so sunday we open saturday's tomorrow so this sunday if you're listening to this on saturday come downtown to wagner park and Battery Park City. Engage it's just north of Battery Park. Exactly, and engage in the Battery, the Battery Dance thirty eighth festival, thirty eighth year festival. Yeah. Opening with Sri Lanka, with Iraq, with Romania, with New York. We got everything on on board for that. Jonathan Hollander, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I cannot wait to talk to you again. Thank, Thank you very Austin. much. It's been a pleasure. Good night, everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.